This is part two of our series, How to Feed Your Demon. Uh, we kicked the series off last Sunday, and there's no way that I can retrace all of the uh, ground we covered last week. So I encourage you to go to our YouTube channel, check out part one, because it'll set everything up for you, kind of explain why we started the series and what this series is about. But I will spend the first few minutes of today's message kind of updating you in case you weren't here last week or you fell asleep you know, at some point in the message and you feel too guilty to admit it. So uh, we'll try to catch you up with, with where we are. Now, when I refer, let's just go right to the heart of it. When I refer to demons, in this series, I mean them metaphorically, symbolically. I'm referring to negative emotions, behaviors, addictions. I'm talking about fear, anxiety, depression, anger, lust, envy. You, you fill out the list with whatever it is you battle, whatever it is you, know, you deal with on a daily basis. I'm talking about things eating at us, keeping us up at night, worrying us, embarrassing us, humiliating us, uh, pushing us under, pushing us over, ever how you want to describe it. Sometimes things like these that we're talking about make us feel as if we are drowning. They're overwhelming. This is what I mean when I say demon, okay? Now, what do you mean when you say feed your demon? Well, feeding your demon is the opposite of fighting your demon. And that's what most of us try to do with these issues in our life. We fight, we battle, we starve, we make promises, draw lines in the sand, make lofty guarantees, ask people to hold us accountable for certain behaviors, filter our computers, feel guilty, wallow in condemnation, fight, fight, fight. I spent most of my life fighting demons. Short of wearing a crucifix, carrying a silver bullet, and holding a wooden spike, you name it, I did it. And here's what I learned, and I shared this with you last week in part one. I learned a, a few things. Here are two of the things I learned during that period of my life. Number one, I can't win against demons. I have neither the strength nor wisdom. And two, fighting demons wear you out. I mean, it's, it is grueling. And for years, I lived tired and frustrated with myself. But over time, I learned a valuable lesson. Even with all of my mess ups, bang ups and bruises, even with my failures and flaws, I am always forever held firmly in the love and grace of God. Because of Jesus Christ, I am secure, I am accepted, and I am never ever condemned. However, and here's where the message kind of took a turn last week, however, if I don't address these demons, anger, envy, lust, fear, worry, anxiety, depression, whatever it is you fill in the blank, like I said, they will keep me from a free and sacred life. So where are we going in the series? We are exposing a few demons. We're demystifying demons. We're pulling back the curtains and revealing what's going on behind the scenes. We're ripping off the masks and looking at what's underneath. And we're learning how to feed the demons rather than fight them because, and this is critical. There's another quote from last week. If, if, excuse me, for most of us, what we think is a scary, hostile, ugly, powerful demon is the part of us that needs to be fed. We need healing and wholeness, not a priest with a crucifix. And the example I gave you last week had to do with anger. When you meet an angry person, you're meeting a hurting person. 
So rather than fighting the demon of anger, the person needs to be fed. They need that part of them nurtured. They need that part of them whole. Something is broken, something is bruised, something doesn't work properly. So rather than fighting the demon of anger, the person needs to be fed in that place. He or she doesn't need an exorcism, they need to be healed, made whole. The deep part of them that is angry is the same part of them that is hurting. Heal the hurt and the demon of anger goes away. So how do you feed your demon? I gave you step one last week, and that is take a personal inventory. This had to do with self-awareness. And one verse we looked at comes from Haggai 1, 5 and 6, and this was the phrase that we brought it out from the message paraphrase, and it says, take a good, hard look at your life. That has to do with taking an inventory, self-awareness. Take a good, hard look at your life. Well, we don't want to do that, do we? We want to avoid taking a real deep look at who we are. So this is what scripture says, slow down long enough that you can take a good hard look at your life. And we ended the message last week and I provided you 13 questions, real simple questions, real easy. I, don't, I think most of you are able to answer them in just a, a couple of minutes, right? No, so they were pretty, pretty thought-provoking questions. I gave you 13 questions last week. I'm not gonna go through them again today. Put them on Facebook a couple times. Uh, you can get them if you email me. I'll be happy to send them to you. Some of you took pictures of them and wrote notes about them. And I ask you to take a couple questions each day and work your way through them. And these questions were designed to help you take an inventory of yourself. They were designed to help you do exactly what that scripture says. Take a good, hard look at yourself. So that was, that was part one. I kind of gave you a little overview of where we've been. And now we're jumping into uh, step two, part two of the series. First, you take a personal inventory. Number two, you refuse to remain the same. Refuse to remain the same. All right, I want you to listen to me very carefully, okay? For many of us, we have little idea what it means to live free, joyful, confident, whole, happy and at peace because we rarely experience it. Our relationships, emotions, and marriages are filled with stress, drama, anxiety, disappointment, and tension. And our lives are shaped around our struggles. Basically, we are fashioned around our weaknesses, not our strengths, our sickness, not our health. And there are many ways to tell whether or not you fall into that category. Here are just a few very simple ones, very surface level. One, we're suspicious when we meet new people. We meet somebody and we just begin to assume that this person can't be trusted, they're gonna hurt me, they're not gonna be honest with me, uh, they're not really gonna be a friend. And what we're doing is we're projecting our own pain, we're projecting our own hurt, we're projecting our own disappointment onto someone else. They haven't even done anything yet, but we already assume they will break our heart, they will disappoint us, they will walk away. We are suspicious of other people. Here's another way to know. When something good happens, we doubt that it will last. We assume that it'll just, you know, well, this is just, I don't know what it is and may I've gone through a good luck spell, but it, it's gonna run out soon. Or another way of saying it, the third way, is that we're just waiting for the other shoe to fall. We just assume that we're, you know, we're bad luck, bad things happen to us, uh, this can't last. So we just wait for the other shoe to fall. We settle for life at 50%. Our, our, our daily experience is muted, it is dampened, it is pale, it is muffled. And so what do we do? We compensate. What does that mean? It means we fake smiles. Um, 
we make up stories we think other people want to hear. Some of the most robust social media people are also some of the most unhappy social media people. But they will never let you know because they've created an image and now they have to manage that image. They've got to compensate for what they don't actually have. Now, for some of us here, it's not as extreme as I've described it. You're, you're somewhere in the middle. You're not faking, but you're not real either. You're not unhappy, but you're not fulfilled. Your life is not bursting with negative drama, but neither are you writing a positive story. And to be honest, I'm not sure which is more disappointing as a way to live, miserable or just not happy, filled with negative energy or you have no energy whatsoever. You're not here or there. Anyway, here's where we're gonna go today. This is my goal in this message, right? We're gonna walk slowly through a strange story presented in Mark. It's about a man who has a bunch of demons in him. And it's kind of a creepy story, an odd story, and it makes us feel kind of weird as we walk our way through it. Then afterwards, we're gonna walk our way through another story about a man who was stuck and didn't know how to move forward in life. And hopefully these two stories will complement each other. If we get to the end of this message and you're like, I have no idea what he was talking about, neither story complements the other, we will refund your money 100%, no questions asked, okay? You'll get all your ticket price back, I promise, all right? All right, there's a disturbing story recorded in Mark 5 about a man tortured by a group of demons. Let's walk our way through this. This is what Mark writes in in chapter 5. Jesus and his disciples came to the other side of the lake, to the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as Jesus got out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out of the tombs. This man lived among the tombs and no one was able, was strong enough to restrain him, even with a chain. He had been secured many times with leg irons and chains, but he broke the chains and smashed the leg irons. No one was tough enough to control him. Night and day in the tombs and the hills, he would howl and cut himself with stones. Now I want you to try to imagine what life must have been like for this man. He was tortured by an evil spirit. He was banished from society. You can't live with your family anymore. You can't live with your friends anymore. You can't, you're not a productive member of society. We don't know what's wrong with you, but you're, you're crazy. You're possessed by demons, something. So he is regulated to live among the tombs, among the people who have died in a graveyard is basically where he lived. He howls like an animal and he cuts himself with stones. I mean, this must have been a chilling sight to behold. Well, when he saw Jesus from far away, he ran and knelt before him, shouting, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you will not torture me. Now, let's just pause the story there. Let's, I don't want you to try to think ahead or, or move on. Just, just hold right there because I'm gonna ask you a question. Many of you do not know the story in detail, many of you do. But if you, those of you who know the story, imagine that you kind of aren't sure exactly what's gonna happen next in this story, and those of you who don't know the story, then you can play along really well, because you don't know what's gonna happen. If you are not sure about what's gonna happen in the story, what do you think happens next? 
I mean, immediately after this evil spirit speaks with Jesus and Jesus confronts this man, what exactly happens next? Now, if I did not know the story, here's what I would guess would happen next. Jesus would cast the evil spirit out of the man, set him free, then they would both go to Chick-fil-A, get a number one with extra pickles, okay? That's what I would imagine would happen if I didn't know the story. Jesus meets this man, this man runs out to him, falls down in front of him, Jesus, what are you, what are you doing here? You know, don't torture me. You know, it's just this very weird, creepy kind of interplay between Jesus and this man filled with devils. I would imagine Jesus would cast the devils out of him. And in just a moment, that is exactly what Jesus does. But something happens before we get to the casting out. And that thing that happens is where I want to park for a few minutes. Because what happens next, I mean exactly what happens next, is filled with incredible insight. Here's what Jesus does next. Man runs up, falls in front of him yells, shouts at him, what are you doing here, Jesus? Why are you confronting me, Jesus? And Jesus does this. He asks the man, what is your name? Now, folks, if, if, if I met someone in a graveyard and they're howling like an animal and they're taking sharp rocks and they're cutting themselves and out of this person's mouth comes this weird demonic sound. It would not cross my mind in that moment to ask the person their name. But that's what Jesus does. What is your name? And the man answers, legion is my name, for we are many. Jonathan Martin in his book, Prototype, describes how we might find such a story laughably primitive. Given our advances in medical technology, psychology, biochemistry, and as we are able to live our lives in relative isolation from the realities of evil, perhaps we feel too sophisticated to take the idea of demons seriously. But, but maybe we're giving ourselves way too much credit. Maybe we have allowed Hollywood and medieval art to create an image of demons we carry around. You know, the little red or black imps with pitchforks and long pointy tails. Here's what you need to know. Evil spirits are extremely intelligent and they morph and mutate to fit within every culture. The details about these demons we read about here in Mark 5 fit perfectly within a first century culture and a first century worldview. But how would demons manifest today in our modern world, filled with technology and science and presumed intelligence? Probably not through a man howling in a graveyard. Back, back to Jonathan Martin, here's what he writes, and I thought this was so insightful. Quote, he says, one description of Satan in the New Testament refers to him as the prince of the power of the air. What a provocative image of evil in an age in which wireless technology has allowed us to be connected wherever we are. Even as we are helplessly disconnected from our identity as God's beloved children. 
living among the tombs seems an apt depiction of a time, the time that we spend in the earbud-enhanced constant uh, privacy of our own alternative realities. These constant access to technology, he says, drives us apart even when we're together. Research has shown that our dependence on technology is changing our brains and by most accounts, not for the better. In our day and age, we don't have to believe in demons to be given over to despair and distraction. We simply have to go wireless. What is your name? What an incredible question. That's a frightening question in our world today. Not not the question itself, but what the question is asking, the question behind the question. In our world today, asking someone for their name simply means give me the arrangement of letters used to call your attention when we need you or how to find you later. But it meant much more in the culture in which Jesus asked it. When Jesus looks at this man in this graveyard, howling like an animal, cutting himself with sharp rocks, when he says, what is your name? He means this, who are you? What is your identity? Give me access to inside you. That's why asking this question is frightening in our world today. Because folks, if there is anything we fear most in our world today, It is the truth about who we are. It is difficult being ourselves, isn't it? I mean, we we create an image on social media and then we spend hours managing the image we created. And most of the time, the image is an image we wish we were, not actually who we are. I have watched throughout the years as being a pastor, so many couples present themselves on all kinds of platforms as romantic and exciting and fun and passionate and love with one another. And then the very same couple splits up a few months later. When the truth comes out, the image that was created and managed was not at all actually who they were behind the scenes. The look how happy I am, look look at how free I am, look look at how exciting my life is, is often a smokescreen. Why? Because we're dealing with stuff in our private lives and we're too embarrassed to admit them. We're ashamed. We're afraid to be rejected, disowned, unloved. So please look at the image I present to you, not the truth about me. And we're willing to almost do anything to avoid that question. What is your name? Yet, here's what's interesting. That's where Jesus begins. Before we go any further, before we cast out any demons, before we deal with anything going on in your life, tell me who you are. Admit the truth. Who am I dealing with? Not the presentation, not the outside stuff. We're gonna get to that in a moment. I wanna know who you are behind all this drama. Who are you? Who am I speaking with? What's the truth? That's almost the first step last week, right? Take a personal inventory, self-awareness. And how does the man respond? Legion is my name, for we are many. Many demons put this man where he is. Not one, but many. Alone on an island, banished from society, tortured and lonely, cutting himself with rocks, scaring everyone coming near, many 
many demons. But you know about that, don't you? About what? About the many, many voices, many people, many experiences, many traumas, not one. It wasn't one thing that happened to you that put you where you are. If it was just one thing that happened to you so many years ago, you would have overcome it by now. It wasn't the one thing. It was the many things that put you where you are. It was the coach who demeaned you, the boyfriend who raped you, the employer who held you back, your first husband who cheated, the friend who betrayed you, your wife who took advantage of you, your narcissistic parents, the sexual abuse, the dishonest pastor, the failed business, the gained weight, the disastrous marriage, on and on it goes. Those are the things that put you where you are. It's the many voices, the many demons. All those people, the many banished you to an emotional island, shut you out of everything. And so much of what you do on the outside, the rattling chains, the scars on your arms of where you cut yourself with the sharp rocks, the howling on the outside that we see in this man presented in the graveyard, all the stuff you do on the outside is only because of the things that happened to you on the inside. And as I said, we avoid giving our name because we're ashamed. But I also have learned over time that there's another part of us underneath that wounded soul, beneath all the howling and cutting and screaming and rattling of chains, underneath all of that, there is another part of you that wants to scream your name. You want to announce it on the rooftops. You want to be who you are. You want to admit the truth. You want to set down the weight of pretending and faking and coming up with more energy to prop up the image. Sometimes you just want to set it all down and you just want to look one person in the face and say, my name is Legion. I am here because I've got many things going on. But rarely do people ask, do they? They don't want to know you. They see what you do on the outside. They've heard about things in your past and they've regulated you to a graveyard until now. Today, Jesus steps up, walks into your private life and asks, what is your name? Yes, I see all the stuff on the outside, but what is your name? Yes, I hear the chains rattling, but what is your name? Yes, I see all the scars and the blood, but what's your name? Yes, I hear the howling. I've heard it from a distance, but what is your name? I want to know you. I want to walk through the doors you keep locked. I want to see what's underneath the layers of trauma and pain and disappointment. You don't have to hide anymore. I see you. Do you see you? You know, here, here's my suspicion. Some people have never seen you. They've never seen you. They've never actually spoken to you. I'm talking about the healed you, the whole you. The only thing they know about you is the hurting you, the bleeding you, only the struggling to make sense of the trauma in your life you. 
In fact, a few of your relationships are entirely based on the hurting you, the damaged you, the broken you. Your pain and his pain attracted each other and that's the reason you walked down the aisle. Your trauma and her trauma brought you together. That's okay, no judgment from me. I'm just pointing it out. Self-awareness, admitting your name. And here's why that I think this is so important. Jesus cast these demons out, long story short, skipping over an incredibly important point, but we gotta get to another point. He cast the demons out, the man is free. And Jonathan Martin points out something I'd never seen before until I read it in his book a few years ago. Mark 5, at the end of this story, this is how the whole story is kind of wrapped up and here's how the story ends. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane and they were all afraid. Don't you find that interesting? The people are afraid of the sane man. Martin writes, I find it interesting that it wasn't the sight of the tormented man injuring himself with stones that frightened the people. Just as in our day, they had become accustomed to all the noise and violence. It was seeing the former demoniac sitting next to Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, that is what struck fear in them. He continues, we're afraid not because we would rather see a demonized man continue to harm himself. We're terrified that his transformation raises for us new possibilities for what it means to be human. Let me simplify that, make it very palatable. If you think it's scary meeting a deranged person, try meeting a sane one. If you think it's off-putting being around someone who was selfish, arrogant, and out for themselves, imagine being around someone who was humble, others-focused, and wants nothing for you but for you to thrive. It's threatening. It's unnerving. It's intimidating to meet someone living right-side up in an upside-down world. It's one reason the crowd was frightened. They didn't know what to do with him and what it meant for them. The world has seen one perfect, loving, compassionate, merciful, self-surrendering, feet-washing, sacrificial person, and we killed him. Light exposes darkness, and it's hard for us to be around anyone who is sane. You want to shock your family? You want to shock your friends? You want to shock the world around you? Become healed. Become whole. Become healthy. People will not know what to do with you. Some will try and commit you. Next story, and I won't spend nearly the amount of time in the next one. You'll see how they all come together in a moment. The second story is found in John 5. Mark 5, John 5. Here's how the story opens. In Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate in the North City Wall is a pool with the Aramic name Bethsaida. It had five covered porches. And a crowd of people who were sick, blind, lame, paraphrased. These were their demons, if you will. And a certain man was there who had been sick for 38 years 
years. And there was a superstition that was very popular at this time. There was a pool, the Pool of Bethesda, or Bethesda, excuse me. And this man and all the people around it believed that every now and then an angel would come down from heaven and stir the water. And when the water would get stirred, the first person in the water would instantly be healed. So these lame and paralyzed and, and blind and you know, people tormented by their physical ailments would lay around the pool day after day, hopeful that they would be the one into the water. And this man had been there for 38 years because he never could get in the water fast enough. He believed a superstition and it held him in place. Now, I want you to realize that the same thing happens to this man that happened to the man who was regulated to the graveyard. Jesus shows up. But I don't want to tell you the story. I want you to watch it. Watch this. Shalom. Me? Yes. Shalom. I have a question for you. For me. I don't have many answers, but I'm listening. Do you want to be healed? Who are you? We'll get to that later. But my question remains. Will you take me to the water? <laughs> Look, I'm having a really bad day. You've been having a bad day for a long time. So? Sir? I have no one to help me into the water when it's stirred up. And when I do get close, the others step down in front of me. And so... Look at me. Look at me. That's not what I asked. I'm not asking you about who's helping you or who's not helping. Rose getting in your way. I'm asking about you. <laughs> I've tried. For a long time, I know. And you don't want false hope again, I understand. But this pool, it has nothing for you. It means nothing, and you know it. But you're still here. Why? I don't know. You don't need this pool. You only need me. So, 
you want to be healed? So let's go. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Free to walk, like he said. Don't forget your bed. Why does this matter? Because you're not coming back here. That life is over. Everything changes now. That life is over. Thirty-eight years. This man was comfortable. His days were predictable. He was secure, but he was trapped. Trapped in his mind. Trapped in religious superstition. When Jesus saw him lying there, knowing that he had already been there a long time, he asked him, are you seeing a pattern? The demoniac was ask a question. The man at the pool, ask a question. What is your name? Do you want to get well? Do you want to change your identity? Change your schedule, change your friends, change your future, change your excuses, change what you do tomorrow, change what you do next week. Do you want to get well? Stop with the excuses, get up, take up your mat, walk. Pick up your security blanket, pick up your identity, pick up your predictable life, walk. Show everyone you're different. Let them see you walk away from this. Walk away from the pool. Walk away from the superstition. From the friends who enjoy having you around them every day, laying right here at this pool. These people who've kept you down. Your mind who's kept you down. Get up and walk away from it all. Notice in this story, Jesus asked the man his name. The first story, his name before deliverance happened. In this story, he had to refuse to remain where he was before the miracle happened. For this man, his demon was discouragement, excuses, other people, failure. Every time in the past, I tried to get in the pool, it didn't work. There was a part of him, a huge part of him that needed nurture, food, Rest, kindness, love, acceptance, faith, hope. Jesus provided everything he needed. And when Jesus fed him, his demon fled him. A few of you, you've been banished to the tombs. You need self-awareness. What is your name? 
Others of you are sitting on a mat of comfort filled with reasons and excuses and past failures, and you are allowing them to keep you down. Do you want to be made well? And today, just like the demoniac, Jesus is asking your name. And today, just like this man on the mat, Jesus wants to know if you want to be well. I want to end today by giving you some more questions. Not 13, just a few. And I want you to work your way through these and it'll help you apply everything that I've said today. And um, you can work them out in your own life. Question number one, what are your security blankets? What are those things you wrap your emotions around, your mind around, your heart around, and hold on to them. And those are the things like the man's mat you hold on to. And they make you feel secure, but they're keeping you where you are. Identify them. What are they? Question number two, which friends do you need to walk away from? There were some friends in that man's life. Did you notice even in the video, there were some people looking around, kind of wondering, why is Jesus setting him free? Why is Jesus healing him? What about me? What about us? There's friends that want you to stay where you are. They want you to remain right on that mat. Some of you are gonna have to say goodbye to a few of those. That's gonna be hard, but you're on your way to being made well. Number three, what superstitions are holding you down? Well, my mama says, my daddy says, my pastor years ago told me this, and it's been holding you in that place. And you've believed these silly things that have just locked you in. What are some superstitions? For that man, almost four decades, he believed that an angel would come down and stir a pool. And he sat there for four decades waiting for this thing to happen that never happened. And that's why they, in the video it says, in the story, you know, are you going to put me in the pool? Or you? No, 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 no. You don't need all of that. You need me. What religious superstitions? What do you need to pick up so you won't return? Man, some of us, we just kind of keep our, our options open, don't we? Figuratively speaking, I'll just keep her in my, my contact list just in case. I'll, I'll keep in contact with him just in case. I'll say no, but then again, if it doesn't work, I'll run back here. As long as you have all these reasons to go back, you'll find yourself going back. I love that at the end of that, that story. Why, why do I need to pick my mat up? Because this life is over. You won't need it anymore. There are some mats you need to pick up, get rid of, and never go back to them again. As long as you keep that bridge built, you'll keep walking across it. And the last one is whose voice will you listen to? The past or the future? Yes, I know you messed up in your past. Yes, I know you've got ugly things. Yes, I know you've probably still got some of the scars from the sharp rocks you use to cut yourself. That is your past. Jesus is saying, what is your name? Because you're getting a new one. You realize that whenever Jesus asked him his name and he said, my name is Legion, and then when Jesus cast the demons out, guess what? His name was no longer Legion. New name. 
Take your mat and walk away. New place to live. Past or future, whose voice are you listening to? Let's pray. Father, we bring ourselves to you as we are. Some of us have got all kinds of junk in our life and we are embarrassed and we are ashamed and we fake it because we don't want people to know the truth about us. This is not condemnation, this is just reality. This is not about heaping guilt, this is just reality. And Father, I believe today you are asking us, what is your name? Come out and just be honest. And I believe there are some of us sitting on a mat, we've been sitting there for a long time and it is time for us to stand up and walk in a new direction. For the speak into our lives, bring healing and wholeness and life and rest and peace. Bring what we need and bring the healing and wholeness that we so desperately crave. We want to be heard. We want to be seen. But that's only going to happen as you, the light of the world, shine on us and reveal the truth and wash and cleanse and make us new. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for your compassion and love. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Awesome. Before we uh, dismiss, let you guys go. Um, just want to say thanks again for joining us. It was obviously a great Sunday morning. I, I love the series that we're doing. I love the message we got to hear today. Um, one of the things I love the most probably about that John story, and of course you watch the clip obviously from the Chosen series, is just when you see Jesus getting down on the man's level, right? He doesn't tower over him with some kind of authority, but Jesus looks him in the eye and gets down on his level. And I think it shows just the beauty of how relational God is with us, that he doesn't think and show his power to us all the time to flex his muscles, but he humbles himself and he gets on our level and he looks us in the eye and he has a gentle spirit and says, no excuses, not what's been done to you, not what other people are saying, but you, do you want to be healed? And I think it's such a powerful story. I hope that resonated with you today. Um, thank you again for coming. Uh, those of you who have RSVP'd for the Connect Lunch, we can't wait to go eat lunch with you right now. Uh, the dinner or the lunch should be ready now, so we're super excited about that. Um, if you have kids and you RSVP'd for the Connect Lunch, your kids should be okay to stay over in Adventure. Uh, we're Super ready to just go hang out, eat some food together. Uh, thank you guys again for joining us. Next week, we'll continue this series and how to feed your demons. I'm really excited to continue learning with you about how to kind of progress in that area. So again, thanks so much for coming. I hope you have a wonderful Sunday.